Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing through the book of Luke, and we've now come to Luke 6, 12 and following, and we're going to see Jesus call his 12 apostles. Let's begin reading our text, Luke 6, 12. Now, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Simon, who was, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and he healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. I want to speak to you on this subject. Selected for service, the Savior students. Selected for service, the Savior students. Now, although Jesus has already chosen five disciples up until this point, uh, at least five, because we know he called Peter, James, Andrew, and John previously before this as they were fishing, and then Matthew, the tax collector, before this passage, and we do believe that Luke is being chronological here, he had not set aside 12 apostles. Now, you may think, wait a minute. Isn't a disciple and an apostle the same thing? No, they are not. Disciple means learner, and apostle means sent one. Now, all the apostles were disciples, but not all of the disciples were apostles. We know that by this point in his ministry, there were hundreds of disciples who were following his teachings. Yet now the time has come for the Savior to select serious students. That is, those whom he would use to formulate the foundation of the faith. So that is what we have in the text before us. Jesus has a large group of disciples, five of whom had already been named, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Matthew, all of which would become apostles at this time of the Savior's selection. Now, while we are not apostles because we do not meet the qualifications, there are no apostles today, according to the book of Acts, very clear. We are disciples, learners. The similarities between us and them are many, though clearly we're not identical. However, there are still several things to apply in our lives from their example and from this text, but more importantly, from the Savior himself. Let it be said of us that we are serious students studying the Savior through the Scripture, that we are serious students studying the Savior through the Scripture. The first thing we notice in verse 12 is the Savior spends the night in solitude. The Savior spends the night in solitude. Our story begins with the Savior seeking out and spending time, uh, the entire night as a matter of fact, in solitude. Luke writes, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Well, what of the Savior spending the night in solitude? First notice the place of solitude. The text gives us a place. We read he went out to a mountain. 
This is very significant because in Scripture, mountaintops are seen as places of communion of, with God, as places where God's men have received revelation. For example, Jesus prayed on the mountaintop. He was transfigured on a mountaintop. He was crucified on a mountaintop. Moses received the law on a mountaintop. Elijah called down fire on a mountaintop. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, almost all the secrets of God are revealed on mountaintops. And so we would note this place of solitude. He is going there to pray because he has a big decision coming up. Because immediately after the prayer, what does he do? He selects 12 apostles. Now, not only the place of the solitude, of solitude, excuse me, but notice the purpose of solitude. Why is the Savior going alone on a mountaintop, and staying there all night. Well, the text gives us that. It says we read, and continued all night, watch this, in prayer to God. His purpose was to pray. Jesus was about to choose the 12 men, one of which, of course, was a devil, to be his most serious students. This was an extremely important decision. We, cannot, we can imagine he prayed not only for himself and his selection, but also for his students in their service. He prayed for God to give them perseverance, wisdom, mercy, etc. I'm sure it was all of that and more. I believe he was also praying for himself. Because we know after he selects his apostles, from this point on, the Savior headed into the next stage of his ministry, and the opposition was going to be cranked up several notches, and the crowds were going to become more challenging. By way of application, may I say this, when we face monumental decisions like Jesus faced that will affect us and or our families in a major way, we must be all the more careful to coat such choices in prayer. How often in life do we do something haphazardly without first seeking the Lord's will and then it blows up in our face? I've made this statement before and I make it again. If the Son of God needed space for secluded prayer, how much more do we? If Jesus had to pray, we definitely must pray. If Jesus had to go and spend a night in prayer before a major decision, then we better not make major decisions without praying because I promise you this, if Jesus needed prayer, we need it a million times more. Though we must pray before we act, we must not delay acting because we find that the next day after he prayed, he moved into action. See, that's where we mess up a lot of times. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Well, and, and I get it. Amen. Pray about it. But at some point, it's time to move from praying to walking in faith. And it's time to act. And so we see the Savior moves from praying to acting. So not only the Savior spends the night in prayer, but secondly, in verses 13 through 16, the Savior selects his 12 students. After praying and seeking the will of the Father, the Savior moves to select his most serious students, 12 of them to be exact. Now, while he had many disciples, he chose from them 12 apostles. And while all apostles were disciples, I remind you again, not all disciples were apostles. We know the apostles were given special power and special revelation, as we will see. Now, of his selecting 12 serious students, let's consider the significance of the 12. Why 12? Why not 13? Why not 11? 
We know that everything Jesus did was for a purpose. Now consider that Jesus came as a fulfillment of the promise to the 12 tribes of Israel for a Messiah. So in fulfilling the promise to the 12 tribes, he selects 12 apostles. As to the 12 tribes, they were to be God's emissaries, and they failed in that. Remember, God called Israel to be what? A light to the Gentiles. So the 12 tribes were to be his God's 12 apostles to the Gentiles. And Jesus chooses 12 apostles to be his emissaries in carrying all out the gospel. So I believe that parallelism, those those compare, I believe that's on purpose, and I believe that's to get our attention and to help us connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, not only the significance of the 12, as the Savior selects his serious students, but notice, secondly, the service of the 12. What did he select these serious students to do? We find our answer not only in the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also in the Epistles. And so the service of the Twelve is worth thinking about Jesus picking the Twelve Apostles. And we consider that he selected them to be his most serious students. And we consider the significance of the number Twelve. Then we move to the service of the Twelve. What were they supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you this. They were to formulate the foundation of the faith. They were to formulate the foundation of the faith. Ephesians 2.20 uh, says that we were, our faith was built upon the foundation of the apostle with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Just as in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through the prophets as it was written and preserved. So also in the New Testament, he spoke through his apostles that we may take both as the foundation of our faith. By faith, I don't mean an individual saving faith, like, you know, you have faith in God or you don't. I mean faith in the sense of a body of doctrine, uh, you know, as Jude tells us to contend for the faith. And so I'm using faith in that sense. Their service of the twelve was to formulate the foundation of faith. Now, let me read to you Ephesians 2.20 to, to make sense of this so you don't think I'm just making stuff up. Paul wrote, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles' teaching was recorded for us in the New Testament. So they formulated the foundation of the Christian faith. An example comes to us from the early church and how this worked and played out, Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So that was the first thing they were doing, uh, was to formulate the foundation of faith. You know, Peter went on to write First Peter, Second Peter. Um, you know, John went on to write John, First John, Second John, Third John, Revelation. You, you get the point. They were formulating the foundation of the faith. That's why Jesus chose them. Secondly, not only to formulate the foundation of the faith, but to spread the news of the Savior. They were to spread the news of the Savior during and after his earthly ministry. For example, Matthew 10 tells us, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. And then again in Matthew 10, we read, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded. Sent out for what? Well, keep reading in Matthew 10 and verse 7. Jesus continues, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this service was to continue even after the Savior ascended. 
for he instructed the apostles and all of his disciples, so that part includes us, to do what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, part A. Now, by way of application, let's consider this. While we are not apostles, per Acts 1, 15 through 17, we don't meet the qualifications, we are, however, disciples. And like the apostles, we do have the same charge, not to formulate the foundation of the faith, because you can only have one foundation and it's already been laid, rather to spread the news of the Savior. This is our service to him as students of him. We know that this service in particular was not limited to the apostles because Paul himself instructed believers everywhere to evangelize, to evangelize after the earthly ministry of Christ and on into the early church period. And so, after spending the night in solitude and after selecting his 12 serious students, Jesus brings them down the mountain to show them something. And he shows them his display of power. And I think that's important. So we come to verses 17 through 19. He's spent the night in solitude praying. He selected his uh, 12 most serious students. And we talked about what he chose them for and what they were going to go on to do. And now in verses 17 through 19, the Savior shows the students his supremacy. The text says, and he came down with them. With who? With the disciples and apostles. And stood on a level place with a crowd of who? His disciples. He then begins to heal the sick and cast out demons. Now, why did he bring the disciples along for this? Well, I believe his students, his apostles, were going to face difficult days, horrible times of doubt, persecution, and hardships. Undoubtedly, they would be tempted to stop serving the Savior for the great sacrifice it requires. And so I believe he wanted them to see his supremacy immediately after choosing them so that they would always remember that the one who selected them was supreme, sovereign, and powerful. And I believe that's part of why he is soon, I mean, it says when he chose them, he said, all right, come here, come down the mountain, we'll show you something. I believe that as they went on and they were persecuted, their mind would go back to who they were serving and how he was worthy, and how if he could do all those things, surely he would keep his promise to see them again in heaven. And so the Savior shows his students his supremacy. How? Well, first of all, his supremacy over disease. People came to hear him. Text says he healed them of their diseases. Now, I've already talked a lot about Jesus healing diseases in the past, so I'm going to move on. But he shows his supremacy over disease, and then secondly, he shows his supremacy over Demons, not only disease, but demons. We find him once again casting out demons. Here in Luke 16, 18, Satan's forces were no match for the supreme and sovereign Savior. When we face difficulty in service to the Savior, we would do well to remember his supremacy and his power and to walk in it and to realize what the Bible says and means when it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In conclusion, we have considered selected for service the Savior's students.
We noted the story in three scenes. First of all, the Savior spends the night in solitude. Second of all, the Savior selects 12 students. Third of all, the Savior shows his students his supremacy. In all of this, we have an application for the Savior students today, of which I hope you are one. We noted that if Jesus prayed over decisions, so should we. We noticed that the service of the twelve correlates to our service to God, that we too are to spread the news of the Savior. And we were reminded that though we will face hardship in serving the Savior, He is supreme and sovereign. Although we are not apostles, we are disciples and must fulfill our duty to disseminate the gospel among the nations and devote ourselves fully to Christ. Let me leave you with a challenge of a few questions. Are you a serious student who studies the Savior through the Scripture? Secondly, are you serving the Savior by spreading the news of Him to those around you, family, friends, co-workers, etc.? Ladies and gentlemen, though we're not apostles, we are disciples. And if you've been saved just like the disciples, you've been selected for service. And I hope you will take that seriously and do your part to propagate the gospel every chance you get. God bless you. Keep studying the book of Luke.